This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. Wow. There's some good stuff going on in the atmosphere this morning. I can feel it. Before I jump in, if I jump in too quickly, we won't be able to get out. So what we're going to do is here in a minute, we're going to take up our offering this morning, which is so, oh, it's such a privilege. I love it when people get excited about the offering. That's so great. It's like offering. Yeah. You know, so we're going to take up our offering. So I'm going to have the ushers. You can go ahead and come forward. And this is always such a privilege. I want to, I want to share something with you that I was, I had dinner with another pastor recently and he's asking me some questions about. New Testament offerings and, and just all these different things. And I shared with him one of my favorite New Testament offerings. And I've shared it many times, but there's the passage where Peter, fisherman, Peter was, uh, as many of you know, he'd been fishing all night and Jesus comes to him and he's got, you know, he's got everyone following him, all the, the crowds. And, and what, is, what does he do? He asks Peter, he says, he says, can I borrow your boat? How many know that in that time, the boat was his resources. That was his resource. That was like for me saying, you know, can I, can I loan you some money, Jesus, you know, to, to accomplish the mission that you're doing? And he comes to him, he says, Peter, can I borrow your boat? I want to put it out. I want to teach. And so what does he do? Sure, he lets him use his boat, puts his boat out. Jesus teaches. And then what happens when he comes back? Jesus said, I'll tell you what. He said, why don't you go back out and put your net on the other side? Which is really funny to me because those boats were not like cruise ships, right, where you could walk way across to the other side. Those boats are about as wide. I think they're like eight feet or so wide, maybe even less. So it's like the idea of Jesus is like, okay, you've been trying on this side. How about you just try that side, right? Ken, you're a fisherman. It's like, that's not how it works. Well, I've been fishing all night. Maybe I should try three feet over. And, and so here he is, pretty much no faith. I mean, he's like, well, I'll do it. And he goes back out, he puts it out. What happens? Huge catch. So much that he couldn't even take care of it all himself that all of his business partners also got blessed. Why? Because he take, took his resources and he put them in the Savior's hands. And he said, good job, Peter. Watch this. Let's go back out. Take your resources back out now that I've touched them. Woo! Now that I've touched them, why don't you go back out and fish again? And not only did he get blessed, all of his buddies got blessed. And in the midst of that, when he came back in, remember what he said? He said, you're the Messiah. It was in the place of generosity that he actually was awakened to the call to follow Jesus. There's things that happen when we're generous that only happen when we're generous. I can't explain it, but there are things that happen. So when we give, I always like to align our hearts that it's not... Um, just something we do, you know, it's just a routine. I think giving should be a habit. I think giving, it should be something that we do, but it should never be without the heart, amen? So this morning, we're going to pray. Stand up with me real quick. You've sat really long now, so just stand up for just a moment, and um, let's go for this, okay? Thank you, Jesus, that, Father, that when we take of our resources and we put them in your hands, God, when you touch them and you give them back, mm, that there is favor all over them. We get to take your favor. 
So, Father, I pray this morning over everyone in this house, from doesn't matter from the young to the old, that, Lord, that they would walk in favor, that, that, Father, that prosperity would chase them down, Lord, that those of you that, are, that you need work, I, just, I, I declare over you that work would find you. People that are watching from at home right now, we just declare that work would find you. We just speak raises in Jesus' name, that people would get a raise. I have no problem believing this. God is a good dad, right? And so we believe you, Father, to do what you do best, and that's to bless your kids. So, Lord, as we give to you, we just align our hearts with the goodness of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You guys can sit down. Uh, we've got, ooh, fancy new text screen. By the way, let me just say this while they're passing the baskets. Colby Shelton, who is not in here because he's hiding in a hole doing all of our uh, media stuff right now. He, he runs all the cameras. And let me say this. There are thousands of people that are getting to experience what's going on on Sundays because of what's happening with the media. Um, it's amazing the testimonies that are coming in, people that are writing in that are getting healed. I told this testimony a few weeks ago. One of my favorite ones was that I had called out a word of knowledge um, in a service about two, three months ago about somebody's knees, and nobody responded. You immediately have a couple choices when that happens, when you call it out. One, you blew it, and it's okay. You gave it a good shot, and I'm all right with that, too, sometimes. Or two, don't just limit it to what's going on in that moment of time. And three, come up with a really good excuse, and, you know, which I don't do that. So you know, some people do that. They're like, well, that must have been for somebody's neighbor's neighbor's neighbor. And, but sometimes you'd be surprised what happens. And we had uh, an individual that sent a text through to us and said, hey, listen, I, this was weeks later. They're running a marathon, and in the marathon, they, they got terrible pain in their knees. And they grabbed the word from that sermon that morning, laid hands on their knees, and they got completely healed when they were running this marathon. I love it. I love it when it's like time-delayed words. You give a word, and it's like, well, we'll just, you know what I mean? It's like there's time-delayed medicine, there's time-delayed prophetic words. You give the word, we'll see when it happens. I felt it, so I'll put it out there. And it really doesn't bother me because it's not my reputation at stake. It doesn't bother me. I just say it and, and, and go for it. So my job is to love. People ask me sometimes, what if I, call, what if I pray for somebody they don't get healed? Can they leave and say they were loved? If they said yes, you succeeded. But they weren't healed, but they were loved. And who's to say that when love enters in, that the healing will follow? And so I just want to encourage you guys. We even had this morning, um, word of knowledge was called out. Well, where's Gabe? You in here? Gabe? Sound booth? Gabe? Gabe, Gabe, Gabe. You got healed, right? Dude got healed in worship. Come on, right? Wave your hands. Come on. I love it. God's healing. We went yesterday, and, uh, and then I'm going to jump in here. We went yesterday, and we joined in with Love Life, and we walked with them. I was so pleased at the churnout. I, I don't know how many we had there. I'd guess 75 to 100 probably ultimately showed up. And we walked, and I got a text this morning from Andre, and he said that uh, they, they break it down by weeks. Love their campaign, I guess, kind of deal. But they have like week 38, 39, 40. We covered week 39. Andre texted me this morning and said six moms chose life this week. So... Come on, six moms chose life this week. Six babies are alive this week. Six people are going to live a happy life. Woo! <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. I, I just have such an appreciation for what they're doing. I, we, we went out there and we walked and we, we, we just prayed. We just released heaven. And, and, you know, I could feel it, man. I, I could feel the troops rallying when we were praying. For me, a certain song came on and I felt something happen. And uh, Jesus Culture's Break Every Chain came on. And I literally, I felt the atmosphere the moment. Matter of fact, I pulled out my phone and I videotaped it. And I, I, I'm friends with one of the people out there at Jesus Culture. I said, I bet you never thought that your worship would be doing this stuff. And, and they're all listening to break every chain. There is, I mean, you're walking in front of a place where death has been happening for year after year. And you're singing, there is power in the name of Jesus. Woo. Yeah. I can feel it filling the room right now. There it is. Make <laughs> every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Come on. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Let me tell you what I saw in the spirit room right there. Listen, stay right here. There was something when you men sung that out. I saw happening... There's a there was one of the statistics they gave that was breathtaking of how many women would choose life if they weren't either being manipulated by a, a male to have an abortion. And they said that if the man would have just even supported it, not going through the changes that would have happened. And when the men stood up and I heard those, those men singing, there's power in the name of Jesus, something was breaking. Something was breaking. So before we sit down, one more moment, we're going to sing it out. And I want especially you men, to, I want everybody to sing, but I feel a word on the moment. Sing it out. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break, come on, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, one more time, to break every chain, break every chain, you will break every Oh! 
rising up. That will break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. One more time, there's an army. There's an army rising up. try to sit down. I told my wife, moment of pastoral transparency right here. I said, something needs to break before I preach or this is going to be really hard. And you came up here and you felt the atmosphere go, bam, something's up. Something's up. Something's up. So give me grace, all right? I was all over the place before that just happened. Now I'm really all over the place. Just give me some grace. I've got about 12 sermons in my head. And they said, pick up the kids at 1230. So half my audience will leave at 1230. Um, God woke me up. God's been really speaking to my heart in a unique way lately. Let me just say we're living in a great time. We're living in a great time. If you don't believe it, you just need to live around the right people. We're living in a great time. God's moving on his church. Thanks, guys. God's moving on his church. This here, actually. He's been speaking to my heart. He's been, you know, we've been so blessed by what he's doing in Charlotte. It's not, it's not just here. We, we've, we've had the privilege all of a sudden lately of having pastor after pastor calling us and wanting to get together. That's a miracle in itself. If, if you've ever been in ministry, you know what I'm talking about. And pastors wanting to get together is a sign, wonder, and a miracle. <laughs> right? <laughs> Without being guilted into it. <laughs> we, 
it's it's shifting. We've been we've we've had the blessing. People have called us and want to get together, and and we sit down and we hear what God's doing in the different churches all over sitting. God's moving in the city. He's moving in, he's moving in the hearts of the pastors. There's people that are tired of normal. There's people that, that um, I met with a couple recently. I'm going to be very cautious not to give names. I don't want to blow up their church. But we, we, we met with a couple recently, and they, they just shared how they had built their church originally all off of just, you know, pursuing theology and doctrinal stuff. And that was all they talked about. And then they just decided they wanted to let the Holy Spirit come in. <laughs> and it's happening. It's happening. And I'm blessed what's happening here. And the Lord was speaking to me, though, because I began to realize something. And I want to keep the heart of what's going on this morning. And I, I, I'm, the word I've got is a little unique. So let me get through the first few minutes because it almost might feel heavy, but I'm going somewhere with it. Often when we have one of our greatest victories, at times that's when we're the most vulnerable for the enemy to come in. I was reading the story of Elijah, remember when he faced the prophets, and actually we pretty much only ever mention the prophets of Baal. We forget about the other prophets of Ashtra that were there. He actually faced 850 demonic prophets, one on 850. For those of you that were at the walk yesterday, they said there was about 400, so over double that, and you're staring there, look at them. And there's this story, it's one of my favorite stories, I love, I love... (laughs) I love Elijah, how spicy he was. You know, they're out there, and they're, they're trying to, they're having a showdown. It's like, you know, showdown, old western, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they're out there, and there's 850 of them. There's one of him, and what's happening? They're all, and, and Israel is watching, right? They're spectating, like, who's going to win? They weren't exactly a major support. And they're watching What's going to happen? So here, here's Elijah. He's facing 850 demonic prophets. He's got the whole nation watching to see how he does. And he's in the middle, so confident in the Lord that he's actually mocking them. I mean, there's something about this guy, man, that he's like, the whole nation is like, this one's on you, buddy. And he's like, I got it. And so he's, he faces these 850 prophets, and what happens? They're, 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 they're doing their whole thing, trying to call down fire. They're dancing. They're cutting themselves. And what does he do? He starts mocking them. Well, well maybe, maybe here God went to the restroom, you know? <laughs> you know I mean, what a, what a spicy attitude, man. Like, he's like, well, and, and what's interesting, you ever thought about the fact of what really happened there? Because the reality is, is they, the demonic, there is a power with the demonic. You ever thought about the fact that Nothing could operate because he was there. 850 of them were trying to operate in the power of the demonic, and because he was canceling their assignment, nothing could happen. We always focus, I want you to get that because we focus on when he called down fire, which is powerful, but he also stopped them from being able to do anything. He canceled their assignments, he canceled their prayers. They're praying, one man carrying lights. In the midst of tremendous darkness, canceled everything they were doing. <laughs> so what happens is that Elijah, you know, he's do your thing, and then finally he's like, and then and then he's like, 
shows off. He's like, why don't you go ahead and like wet the wood down? You ever tried to make a fire with wet wood? Any of you ever been on a miserable camping trip trying to make fire with wet wood? I youth pastored for years, and one of the worst camping trips of my life involved a bunch of teenagers and wet firewood. I've got teenagers that were holding an umbrella over a fire, trying to get a, so, so desperate to get that fire to light. <laughs> They're burning their belongings just to start a fire. Start the fire. And it's a smoke, smoke. And so Elijah says, go ahead and wet it down. And they wet it down. He says, you know what? Just, just, just for fun, do it again. And they do it again. And what has happened? He calls down fire. He doesn't just light it. He doesn't just light a little fire. It licks up. It absorbs the wood and the rocks. And everything there was gone. Phenomenal moment for him. Phenomenal moment for the kingdom. Something interesting happened next. And I've really been praying about this because I think that we've got it wrong. At least I had it wrong. I won't speak for you. He faced 850 prophets and didn't have any issue with them. And then Jezebel came. I think most of us would probably, if you're like me, I probably would have thought, well, it's Jezebel. Well, they all were serving the same demonic force Jezebel was. You realize that all 850 of them were loyal to Jezebel. I believe, this is, this is what I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, I believe that Elijah was tired. I believe he was physically tired. I believe he was emotionally tired. And I believe he was spiritually tired. I don't care who you are, if you're the greatest minister on the face of the planet, when God's moving, it wears you out. And the enemy came to him at the moment that he was weak. One enemy, opposed to the 850, he just showed up, and he falls apart under the weight. And I was praying into that, and I was thinking about that. And the Lord began to show me different people, all th- reformers all throughout the Bible. Hezekiah. If you've never read about Hezekiah, go read about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a reformer. Hezekiah came in. You remember David had established all of this. Honestly, it was, it was a prototype of new covenant worship. And, and, and over time, things had fallen back apart. And here comes Hezekiah. He comes back in and he reestablishes stuff. He's getting things back on track. Hezekiah gets sick. He gets a disease. Hezekiah's not happy about this. The Lord agrees to heal him. The Lord heals him. Something interesting happens. He's reformed the nation. He's gotten healed now from a disease. And next thing you know, he begins to step into tremendous wealth. And he does something interesting because everybody is, everybody is just so interested in how Hezekiah is so well off. And Hezekiah does something they probably shouldn't have done, and he begins to just bring people into his storehouse and begins to just show it off. It's basically the equivalent of me printing out my checking account and showing it off to everybody. Some of you are like, that would be nothing to brag about. But <laughs> you could feel it in the room, sorry. Um, but, you know, he has, this, he has this tremendous wealth, and he starts bringing people into the storehouse saying, look at all I've got. Prophet comes to Hezekiah and says, oh, shouldn't have done that. 
now you're going to be cursed for that. And what happens? He's, he's, he, he begs for forgiveness. And so the Lord answers in an interesting way. He says, I won't curse you, but it'll happen after you die. You know, the sad part is that he celebrated in that. I could preach a whole message right now on where we're at as a nation on that one line right there that he celebrated the fact that the generation to come would have to deal with his mistake. I'll let you preach that through in your head. <laughs> he celebrated it. What's the point? He was a reformer. He was greatly blessed by the Lord. Elijah Greatly blessed by the Lord. And something happened that in the place of tremendous victory, he, was, he, had, been, he had reformed the nation. He had, he had been healed from a disease. He had stepped into tremendous wealth. And in that place of tremendous victory, the enemy came to him. And what's the point? I believe that the church, I, I really feel like the Lord wants to do a connection in our heart this morning because he wants to teach us how to keep our heart connected to him in blessing. Some people have such a hard time with this that they've actually chosen. It's easier for me to keep my heart connected to the Lord in poverty. So what I'll do is I'll lift it up and call it humility. Some people, are, they know that if I live from a place of poverty, it will force me to be dependent on him. So then they act like it's humility. But how many of you know that if you read like Ephesians, when the Bible talks all about what you were really created for, you as sons and daughters were not created for poverty. Amen. You were created for blessing. And so here's the thing. We see these great men and women that had their greatest victory. And the enemy, I believe, one of our greatest moments of vulnerability can be after our greatest victories because we pour it out. So here's the question. What do we do? You see, the Lord will come in. I want you to notice a couple things. I, I, I've been on this, this journey of, of, with multiple friends right now of helping people that are going through some pretty big messes in their lives. And, and, and we're just walking this journey with all these different people. And I began to really pray to the Lord about this, this confess and repent and all these different pieces. When the Lord comes and we're in a place where we're just doing great, he will come in often and he will allow the pressure on us to reveal to us areas where there's cracks in our life. But here's the thing. The Lord will allow pressure to reveal cracks so that we can fix it. What happens is, is when we don't address it, the enemy will find the cracks too. And he will come in and put pressure on the cracks in your life to destroy you. And see, the Lord comes in, and so this word confess, the idea of the word confess is that it actually means to come into agreement with. I actually think that we've really messed this one up because we think of confession as just basically putting all of our failures out there. Right? But the word confess means to agree with. What are you agreeing with? You're agreeing with the things that he's pointing out in your life. And he's saying, listen, John, listen, you're, you're doing great here, but I, I just see some cracks in this area of your life that I want to highlight to you. And see, when I come into agreement with about what he's saying about my life, that is confession. But if you won't use this word, let me, let me use a different word that might help you grab the word confession. Use recognize. 
Let's use the word recognize. might be easier for you. When God begins to highlight something in your life, we recognize, I've dropped the ball there. But it's until you have recognized it, you can't step into the part where you can repent. And repentance is not a prayer, it's an action. This is so important because we've taught people confess and repent, which is super biblical, but they have no idea what it means. Well, I came up, I confessed and repented with a group of 2,000. Why has nothing changed in my life? Do you have any idea what it means? Confess is not just to throw it all out there and say, I'm a loser. It's to say, God's looking at me and saying, hey, listen, there's some areas in your life. Let's work on these. And you say, I agree with that. Let's work on that. And see, when I step into that, when I step into being able to recognize, I can't... Re- okay, so let's get to the repent piece. <laughs> repentance. It's not... We've, we've Literally, the term we use in church is a repentance prayer. Probably one of the worst ways we could describe repentance. I would say repentance often starts with a prayer. It's kind of like stepping into the kingdom starts with getting saved. Stepping into repentance often starts with a prayer. But if you come up and you have a prayer and that's it, repentance is actually an action of changing, turning away and saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to align with you. But if you're scared to do the... I don't know why I'm preaching this, but I am. If you're scared to do the confession piece that says, I recognize where I've messed up, you're stuck. I feel this is so important because I feel like we often can be building our churches and saying, look at all these people are all getting saved. They're all doing repentance prayers. Are any of them changing? Are any of them repenting? Repent, and we want to get to the point where we've repented. I don't want to live my whole life repenting over a topic. I really do want to get repented. Some of you are like, that's possible? It is possible. You don't have to live your whole life in bondage to something, man. And so the the Lord will come often in the midst of we're having the great things happen. I'm just so, like, let me me make this white for some of the things he's showing me in this right now. I'm so blessed what's happening in the church right now. Just, it's so, so exciting for me to come and be here and be a part of what's happening. But the Lord began to challenge me and said, John, don't ever disconnect your heart from where, from, from the place that just wanted to just worship him. Just love him. And see, what he'll do is, is when you get in that place of victory and things are happening, you're, it's a victory, man. You feel it. Yeah. You can begin to become empty. You poured yourself out. You poured yourself out. You poured yourself out. You poured. I, I have to know when my gas tank is going, ooh. Because if you don't know when you're running out of gas, you can be sputtering and about to <laughs> be done, and you have no idea. And it's usually when you're starting to sputter, the enemy shows up. And I want to know when I start going down, you know, I need, to, I need to reconnect my heart. This is the key. 
If we're going to see continued glory to glory, this is the key. If we're going to see God continue to move, it's the, when the Lord begins to point things out in our life to not be scared of it. I'm being so awakened to this topic right now that we don't have to be scared of when he points something out in our life. It's in his mercy that he looks at you and says, listen, you've got this major crack in your foundation. I really want you to take care of that because I don't want your whole building to fall apart on you. And I say, oh, I see that. I got it. I recognize. I'm confessing. You with me? And now let's change that. And so, in the face of victory, we reconnect our hearts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you in a process. I'm not going to preach long. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, boy. I'm, not gonna, uh, I, I'm definitely not going to preach long because I want to take you on a process really quickly through reconnecting our hearts. I, felt, I just feel it this morning. Flip to uh, Proverbs chapter 27, if you would. There's a few passages that the Lord has shown me throughout the past two years that really changed my heart on some stuff. One of them is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 27. And it says this. It says, a person who is full tramples on a honeycomb. But to a hungry person, any bitter thing is sweet. Let's read that again. A person who is full tramples on a honeycomb. But to a hungry person, most of your versions will say, even the bitter is sweet. I'd like to propose to you that this is one of the most powerful passages that is hidden in your Bible about encountering and experiencing more of God. It's hunger. It's hunger. It's the ability to say... It's the ability to position your heart. You see, you have to get this. It's not desperation. It's hunger. Some people are like, well, I mean, I'm a believer. I don't have to be hungry. Listen, if you and your physical body are not hungry, you're sick. If you and your spiritual body are not hungry, you're sick. Something's not right. Because we should be hungry. I pursue the Lord. The beauty of it is, is he's not running from me, but I still pursue him. I, pers- if I, I constantly, I pursue my wife. She's not trying, I hope, I'm not trying to get away. Yeah, um, she's not joking. Some of you are like, oh my word. Um, it's, it's a joke, gosh. I pursue, <laughs> some of your faces were like, oh my goodness, their marriage is in trouble. You know, like, it's a joke. <laughs> Sorry, babe. I pursue my wife. I constantly keep my heart in pursuit of her. Yeah. Why? Not because she's running away from me, because I want her to feel my love. I want her to feel my connection. I love you, baby. I'm going after you. I pursue the Lord, not because he's trying to get away from me and saying, I hope you're good enough to catch me. He loves it. And this passage teaches us something, because one of the things that happens in churches is I believe we get spiritual food critics. Let's say, well, that doesn't taste very good. And I'm going to go somewhere else where it tastes a little more like I like it. And I'll hang there until somebody makes something that I don't, 
that song doesn't taste very good to me. And we become spiritual food critics when there's a place that we can walk in the Lord that says that you can be so hungry, even the bitter things become sweet. Here, here, let me give you an example of that. We have stuff happen all the time, things that no one in this room will ever hear about that I hear about that happen that is sometimes bitter. It's like, oh, that stinks. You know what I mean? But when God is moving, bitter things happen. It's not God. It's called a bunch of people. He's good. We all get together, and sometimes things happen that's bitter. And when I hear them, I'm like, oh, man, that stinks. But you see, there's this place that I, I, I try to live from where I'm so hungry for him that even when the bitter things are happening, there's a sweetness in my heart that knows God is moving. And I I hate that that happens, but I'm so aligned and hungry for him that I say, Lord, I'll deal with some of the wacky stuff because I want you. I want you. Some people, I've watched people come in here, and I love it because I see them when they come in their first week. They look around, they're like, this is weird. (laughs) I've watched so many people. Steven in here? There you are. I'm going to throw you under the bus, Steven. I love (laughs) Steven. He goes, all right. (laughs) This guy is great. I remember like two or three weeks after he came, he came up to me and he grabbed me, and he said something like, he's like, the first week I came, I really did not like this church. (laughs) Right? Am I right? (laughs) And and, and he stood there, and he, with tears in his eyes, began to describe to me what he felt, though. And it kept drawing him back. You see, that's, that's, even the bitter can become sweet. There are things that happen. Some people, it's like you grew up in a completely different atmosphere. And it's weird to you. I'm the pastor and things happen that's weird to me. <laughs> I could tell you stories that I'm not even going to go into right now. I'm just seeing flashbacks in my head of things that have happened during our worship services. I'm looking at saying, that's weird. <laughs> but listen to me. Listen, listen. You know what? There's a place we come to that we're so hungry. It says, yeah. You see, it's when you come to the place where you begin to start giving your attention to the things that distract you. That's when movements get shut down. That's when things get shut down because we say, well, we don't want to deal with the weird stuff anymore, so we'll just shut it down. Because the reality is anytime God is moving, here's the deal. Anytime God is moving, there's, there's movement in the spiritual atmosphere. I'm trying to say this the easiest way I can. The Bible says that you don't fight against flesh and blood. You fight against spirits, principalities, and powers. Anytime God's moving, that whole realm is it's like you've kicked a bee's nest. Like what you're doing. When you, sung, when you stood up and started singing, there's power in the name of Jesus, you kicked a bee's nest. And this thing starts to spin in the atmosphere where the enemy does not like what's happening. And things will happen. But if you can get a group of people that say, you know what, but I'm still hungry. My heart is still hungry. Because you see, religion's purpose is to keep you feeling full. The the purpose of religion is to make you feel full. The purpose of passion is to keep you hungry. Religion makes you feel full. People, why do you think people that have 
care less about a relationship with the Lord, go to church just to feel okay because it makes them feel full. And the enemy loves it when we feel full, but we're really starved. The enemy, the enemy, he's okay with us feeling full when inside we're empty. And see, religion comes in and makes you feel like you're getting full. But when passion shows up in the room and it lights a fire, all of a sudden there's this thing that happens that says, whoa. Like I felt it when I stood up to preach. Something came out of the room that said, more. More. You know what I mean? Like, I want more of that. Jesus. I'm all over the place. You see, the word was never meant to be separated from the experience. The word was never meant to be separated from experience. I meet people, they say, well, I'm a teacher. Well, unless you're walking in it, I'm not interested in hearing about it. (laughs) Just because you're a teacher doesn't give you an excuse to not be experiencing the kingdom. Because Jesus was the first of all five. He was the first teacher. He was the first preacher. He was the first evangelist. He was the first apostle. And he was the first prophet. So your model was set by him. And he never talked about it without... Matter of fact, he was really great. Hey, let me preach my sermon, all right? (laughs) Fellow teacher. He's he's getting lit up. He's like, come on. Jesus had a completely different model than most teachers. He didn't teach about it and then hope that the apostle would come along and show it to you. He showed it to you and then he'd tell you what just happened. That was Jesus' model. Well, let's do this. I'm gonna, you're going to come and I'm going to you know, just release heaven on you and you're going to be like, whoa, what just happened? Well, let me show you what just happened. You got their attention once you've already, you know, it's like stepping to the end of the book first and then telling them what just happened. And we were never meant to separate the word from the experience. When we do that, we become, honestly, we become very dangerous on both sides. We become very dangerous on both sides, whether it's, and, and we've got people that are like, well, that's just a word church. That's just a, that's just a bunch of cuckoos in that church, right? And we split the two, and both sides become dangerous. Because you've got a side that is operating without experience. And through experience is where you get authority, which means you're teaching a word that you don't have any authority in, which means that you got a bunch of people that aren't ever going to really experience it because you don't have authority in it. Let me say that again. When we teach something we haven't experienced, we don't have an authority. When I, when I tell you... Um, some people ask me sometimes, you, you ever tried to have a conversation about something that you have no experience in and you're trying your hardest to carry it on? For me, it's sports. It's certain sports. Basketball is one of them. I don't know any basketball players, and my nephew Travis does. And he'll like, we, we went out to an NBA game, Charlotte Hornets game, a couple weeks ago, last weekend. We took Ivan to a game, and we got these, somebody, my friend Gus, these great seats, like, like, like 10 rows up from the floor. 
you know. Some of you are like, who cares? All right. Um, so, we're you know, I was just excited because I saw Michael Jordan. I didn't really care about the game. I'm like, MJ. I'm like the kid that went back in the bowls, baby. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know. <laughs> it's like, so we're having this game, and Travis starts asking me. He's like, bro, number 15, he's amazing. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what, man, he's going. He's going somewhere with the He's like, I'm like, yeah, he is. I'm like... <laughs> Right? I'm not, yeah, touchdown, touchdown! It's, ba it's basketball, you dummy. <laughs> That's experience, isn't it? <laughs> and so we're having this, we're, we're sitting there, and Travis is like, man, he's got this experience. He knows the players, he knows their jerseys, he knows their college team, he knows their hometown. He's got authority to talk about this. I'm just like, yeah, this is fun. You want some nachos? You know, I'm just like, this is fun. You see what happened, though, is, man, I, he could see, he knows what I'm talking. He's like, my uncle has no idea what he's talking about. He doesn't. He's like, he just has no idea. You see, the world is not ignorant to the fact when somebody's trying to talk about something that they have no experience in. And they know it because they can feel it. And see, the thing is, is when I've experienced something, when I can say, listen, there's this place that, you know, I've been to, someone says, hey, where do you want to go to eat after church? You know what? I went to this place a couple weeks ago. I had some great food there. I experienced it. I have an authority to speak into that. But someone asked me and said, have you ever been here? Nope. I have no experience in that. See, when you remove the experience, you remove the authority. When you remove the authority, you're really not going to get anywhere. And you get a bunch of people that are presented an empty message, and we wonder why they're not interested. True. Because we present something that the Bible, don't get me wrong, the Bible is alive. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. It's coming through a vessel, though, that's not experiencing what they're talking about. So then we've got the other side that can be dangerous, that we've got people that have no idea what the Bible's about. But they have learned how to heal the sick. It happens. Trust me, it happens. I've had people blow up their, yeah. And they're doing it. And as they move in all the different prophetic ministry and apostolic ministry, I'll say prophetic ministry. They're cutting people apart. People are getting hurt. Because they don't have an understanding of who God is. And you see, when I understand him, I know he is love. He is love. And if I'm ministering to you, it's got to be through the conduit of love. But you see, if they don't have this peace and they don't understand that he's great and he loves you, people are getting hurt. You see, but what he's doing right now is he's wanting to gather together this new breed that... that they're bringing the word, and they're taking all of the experience, and they're taking it, and they're bringing yeah. it together, and they're, not, and they're not saying, and they're not coming together and saying, this is just, you know, supernatural. This becomes a normal Christian life, a normal Christian life, but there's something that has to happen. There's something that has to happen. We have to keep our hearts connected. We have to keep our hearts connected. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prophesy for a minute, Okay. I know what God is doing. I can't speak for the whole, every church in the city. I can say that Charlotte is definitely highlighted in God's eyes right now. 
I can say that because I meet people that minister the world that are moving to Charlotte, that are saying something's getting ready to happen in your city. I can say that very clearly. I also know that God is doing something amongst a really rowdy group of people at the gate. <laughs> and I have this feeling, I can't explain it. I, I, there's something, yeah. You see, he's going to do something that's going to blow your socks off. And I can tell you this, though. We have to keep our hearts connected to him. I'm speaking as your pastor right now. We have to keep our hearts connected. Because we can get really excited. We can get really like, oh, look, all the seats are filled up. Great. Are you still connected to Jesus? I would rather have 35 people in my heart be connected to the Lord than thousands, and I've become disconnected. Is this okay? I'm really, this is just, he's been waking me up in the middle of the night, night after night, drawing my heart to him. It's just, just pulling on my heart. I know he's going to do something great. I, I, don't, I don't even worry about that piece. <laughs> I have confidence in that. I just want to be so sensitive to him and as a house that when he says, hey, listen, I just want to show you something. Why don't you work on that? I say, oh, yeah, let's work on that. Because that's how you keep a strong foundation that you can build something that the generations see. We're not going to pull the Hezekiah where we build something and the generations to come have something negative. We're building something that the generations to come love. They love it. I love talking to my kids about church. I love seeing what he's doing in the, in the nurseries and in the kids' church and seeing the little ones experiencing the Lord. I, I was... I was, we were doing that prayer walk, and I took my kids with me, and I haven't even told you this. We were out there, and, you know, they've got people out there that are just shouting at you. And, you know, you're just, you're just, just praying and just, just releasing heaven, you know, but you're stirring up the spirit realm. And people are just shouting the meanest things back at you. And my son, he's his daddy's boy for sure. He's like, he's standing there, and they're, ah. he's like, what? He's like, I can't hear you over the presence. <laughs> so, Bam. Oh, <laughs> say it to him. He's like, he's like, what? He looks at me. He's like, what are they saying? I can't hear it over the presence. I'm like, come on, man. He's not like, I was, I was even concerned. I'm like, what's my son going to think when he hears this stuff? And what's he going to feel? He was more mature than probably most of the believers out there. He was like, what? Can't hear you over the presence. Can't hear you over Jesus. <laughs> See, that's what's coming. You think you're rowdy. Wait till the generation after you comes up that, ha- <laughs> that they haven't been tainted. They've, they haven't even got anything. They're going to be so filled with understanding that he's so good. When I was a 12-year-old sitting in church, I just, every week I heard about God loves you. He's so good. You're good. They're going to be so filled. We're building something for the next generation. See, we can't, we can't get caught up. Let me, let me wrap it up on this piece. 
We have to keep our hearts humbled. The Lord gave me four things when I prayed and opened this, this prayer this prayer walk. They put me on the, I was really new to the scene, and they put me on there for the repentance prayer. I'm like, oh, this is like the hardest part. When I jump up there, I got to leave like 400 people in a prayer. I'm never, I'm like, I was like wrestling in my soul over this because I'm like, I need to know, Lord, what you, I want to feel what you feel. And, and I would talk about leaving me to the last hour. He woke me up at 1 a.m. the morning of the prayer walk, and he said, get your phone. And he gave me four things. And he gave me the breakdown. I'm sharing with you a little bit from him, but he gave me four things. He said humility. He said confession, repentance, and my goodness. He said if you'll position your hearts in humility, if you'll confess, which means to come into agreement with what I'm seeing, if you'll repent, which is a change, not a prayer, and if you'll receive my goodness and release it, it's the goodness of the Lord that draws others to repentance. And he said if you'll get those four... You'll change your whole city. Humility. Let's talk about that. Let's wrap it up on that piece. Humility is important. Humility is powerful. But humility is not just recognizing who you aren't. It's recognizing who you are because of who he is. I'll say that again. Humility is not just recognizing who you are not. Humility is recognizing who you are because of who he is. When we just recognize who we are not, I don't think that's what he wants. I don't want my kids to go around and just tell everybody everything they're not. Kind of bad dad would I be that I just instill in my kids, tell everyone all your weaknesses and how bad you are. I want them to know that they are blessed because of. And humility is important. John the Baptist. Oh, goodness. John the Baptist. Remember the Bible said that he came in the spirit of Elijah. You remember that? You with me? Okay, a phone beeped. Get back with me. All right. Everybody's like, all the prophetic people are like, oh, I feel something in the atmosphere. I love it. I can feel it in the room rising, and the prophetic people are like, the alarms are going off. All right. I'm game. All right. Let's finish. Let's finish on this note. John the Baptist. There's something interesting about John the Baptist. that he, There was this word about John the Baptist that said he came in the spirit of Elijah. He wasn't, he wasn't reincarnate Elijah. Like, people think it was Elijah again. No. The spirit of. It's kind of like saying that my son really carries his spirit. It's just like his dad's. You know what I mean? And so interesting thing is that, you know, it didn't say in the spirit of Elisha. Remember, Elisha came after Elijah. Right? And he had a double portion of Elijah. The Bible, one of the things that I learned from Bill Johnson that was brilliant, he said that the Bible always works going back to the father. Elijah was the first one that got the anointing. So when it referred to the anointing, it referred to Elijah, even though the Elisha had double. Just a thought. That's on an honoring piece. But humility. They asked him, and he said, no, I'm not. Remember when they asked him? They asked him if he was in the spirit of Elijah. He's like, nah. Then they asked Jesus, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> I love that picture. They're like trying to like, hey, you're in the spirit of Elijah. He's like, no. And they're like, Jesus, is he? He's like, yeah. That's the point. 
John the Baptist was more focused on he was more focused on what God had placed him there to do than a title for it. Here's the thing we got to realize. I, I, sat in a room, I sat in a room one time full of ministers, and they asked, uh, it's just a small group, and they asked Bill Johnson, they said, uh, are you an apostle? And he just kind of got a grin, like, if I only got, like, a nickel every time I'm asked that. And he just smiled. He said, you know, he said, you can call me what you want. He said, but here's the problem. He says, we've got a room full of people that you are pastors, but he said, I bet you that's the title you carry. But he said, I really wonder what the grace is on you. And he said that the church only recognizes in the Western culture pastors mostly. He said, but I bet a lot of you are teachers. I bet a lot of you are prophets. And you know the danger of operating from a title that doesn't match your grace. If you try to operate from a title that doesn't match your grace, you'll always feel like a failure. If you're an evangelist and you're trying to operate as a pastor, you're going to feel very frustrated. Often. I'm not going to say always because I've met evangelists that are pastoral hearts. I have. But if you try to operate from a title opposed to a grace, it's miserable. I don't need a title. I'm, I'm, I really don't. I, I, I realize that most people call me Pastor John, and that's fine because I have a pastoral grace. Some people ask me, what do you want me to call me? Well, what do you want me to call you? I say, well, my name's John. <laughs> what is it that makes your heart feel right? <laughs> because I really don't have an issue with it because I'm more interested in the grace on my life than the title on my life. And a humble heart is more interested in the grace. We need to be interested in the grace. So he's going to connect our hearts, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play a song that's going to wreck you. I'm giving you a warning. It's going to wreck you. Some of you are like, a... I hadn't heard this song until a few years ago when Brian Simmons first came to our church, and he played it. And it wrecked the whole church. And I'm playing it for a reason, because the Lord told me to play it. But I want you to hear this. This song that we're getting ready to play is a song of how the Lord sees you. Don't listen to the filter of you seeing him. It's how he sees you. And we're going to end with reconnecting our hearts this morning. Some of you are going to want to get on the floor. Some of you are going to want to get at the altar. Some of you are going to want to get out of the room (laughs) because you may be uncomfortable. That's just hang in there because I'm telling you, you're going to feel his presence. So right now, I just want you to position your heart before him. I don't know how you do it. Everybody prays differently. Position your heart before him. And I want you just to begin to just connect your heart with the one that first called out to you. And even in the midst, some of you are in the midst of great victories right now. Reconnect your heart. Some of you are in the midst of great trials right now. Still, reconnect your heart. Connect your heart. Turn it up. Crank it. And every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect, your beauty. 
Solomon over you. To come with me as we climb the highest mountain top in our covenant love we will look down from the crest of the glistening peaks and from the summit of our majestic sanctuary we will await you all together
want you to receive keep the worship yeah sometimes our prayer life is all about us and pursuing him but sometimes it's good to let our hearts feel him pursue us he's pursuing you Before we finish, I didn't ask her to do this until just now. Ashley said something in prayer this morning that was so powerful about the pursuit of God. And I just wanted to share it before we're done. So just stay engaged, all right? Yeah, so in the, um, the last couple of weeks, we were, Jordan and I were listening to an interview about someone who's often um, pretty attacked for his views theologically. One of the things he gets asked in this interview is he says, do you believe that all roads lead to God? And he kind of chuckled for a minute. He said, I don't believe all roads lead to God, but I think that God will chase you down any road that you go on. Um, which is such the heart of the Father. Like, you can be chasing down anything, whether that's with a person or some type of theological view, and he's going to chase you down because he continuously pursues you. The second thing is that he talks about the only time you'll ever find God in a box is when he gets in your box so you can see him and so we were just declaring that we would be people that would take that heart out that we wouldn't be people that would stand at church doors and call out people's names but we would get in the dirt with people we would go down those paths with people and say hey man I've got this sidewalk that leads us a different way let's go this way but we don't we're we're valuing people over doctrine. We're valuing people over an argument. And to have the heart of the Father is to continuously chase these people down. Let's stand up. Jesus. Just close your eyes for a moment.